The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. What is the difference between the RGB bundle and the MAP Super Bundle? Those are our two most popular long-term, like I am now making the decision to really make a huge change and impact on my body and my health and my strength and my muscle and my fat loss. Those are the two bundles people enroll in, but they're both different, right? Yeah. What are the differences? Well, you get MAPS anywhere and you get MAPS Prime with the Super Bundle. So if you're somebody, I think if you're somebody who travels a lot, for sure, the Super Bundle, or if you're somebody who really wants to, I think MAPS Prime allows you to dive deeper into connectivity, muscle imbalances, uh, starting to address dysfunction. So I think that I think the Super Bundle is what I think we would recommend to everybody. That's our long-term program that everybody we believe should go through. And then the, the uh, or that RGB, sorry. And then the super bundle, I think, is for like the super client, you yeah. know? Like, and here's the other thing about Maps Anywhere. I'm getting a lot of emails from people who are using it as a, using it as a bridge between the other Maps programs. So what they're doing is they're doing like Maps Anabolic. Then they'll do Maps Anywhere for three weeks. And then they'll do Maps Performance. Mm-hmm. And, the, so, and this, by the way, is not necessarily what we had envisioned, although we knew it was a possibility. But the feedback I'm getting from people Holy fuck! It is a fantastic. It is, and if you look at the programming, all of us, you know, if you if we know the programming, right? It makes fucking sense, man. Yeah. Like you go away from the weights and go into body weight stuff, get the those closed chain movements, get your body awareness and proprioception up, give your body a little bit of a break with the weights, then go back to the weights with like mass performance or mass aesthetic. Yeah, people are responding really well with that approach, dude. Some of the before and afters I'm seeing from people are, are pretty mind blowing. Yeah, it's been awesome. The other difference between the RGB bundle and the MAP Super Bundle is the RGB bundle takes MAPS anabolic, mass performance, MAPS aesthetic, and cuts off about twenty five percent off the price. The MAP Super Bundle has all that, throws in MAPS Prime and MAPS anywhere, but cuts thirty three percent off. The total price. So it's a bigger discount. Well, what's cool too is this month we're throwing in the forum, which we're going to go up. So the forum at the end of this month is going up in price. So it's going up to $87 to get access to it. And that's you get that free right now. So that's and you're not, in for life. That's not even including that. So you're getting thirty three percent saving plus you're getting another you know eighty seven dollar kickback on the forum that you get free access to. And never never have to pay again. You're in for life. So you can get those super bundles or get the individual programs themselves at mindpumpmedia.com. T-shirt time! Wet t-shirt time! Yeah. Pick up them t-shirts! Yeah. <laughs> How many reviews, Douglas? We got Boy. 13 reviews. Yeah. Yeah. Wah, wah, wah. That's all right. You know all what? Right. We haven't told people uh, in a while how to leave a review. I swear to God, iTunes needs a fucking... Can you? T- I have that. You know what? Do we? They care? need to get their shit together. I feel man. like we have, we have more reviews than most of the top podcasts <laughs> out there. I want more subscribers on YouTube. Can we switch that over? Can we start giving... I would rather like do something for YouTube. Good so. luck trying to track that. I know. I don't know how That's we would That's impossible do it. to track. Well, dude. yeah, you wouldn't do it through subscribing. We'd do something about like comments or shares or something like yeah. that. We'd have to do something like that. Well, I tell you what. If you speculate. If you leave a review on our iTunes thing and we like it and 
you point us to a uh, uh, that you commented on one of our videos or gave it a thumbs up or something like that. The odds that you might win a T-shirt, I don't know, maybe higher, maybe possibly, <laughs> possibly. What, what do you think? What do you guys okay. think? If we could find uh, some people to manage all this, <laughs> yeah. Bri- bribery, Port- bribery goes far. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bribery goes far. All right, tell us, Douglas, who's winning some shirts? All right, we're gonna give away four shirts. First up with Jaiho nine seven nine one. MP for life. Oh, for life. That person for sure. Dakman, KT Recab. Mm. All of you are winners. Send that name I just read to iTunes at mindpumpmedia.com with your shirt shots. Say again. Shirt sizers. And the shipping address. And we'll get that right out to you. Hey, listen, this is how you leave a review, okay? You go to iTunes. You go up to the search function. You type in mind pump. That's two words. Even if you're already subscribed, you still have to go through this process you still of have to searching jump. for mind pump You again. still have to jump through these That's, hoops. I think is the confusion. It is a confusion. Yeah. You, you assume that if you're already subscribed, it should be easy. But no, you go no. up there. You search mind pump, two words. Click on our icon. We pop up. There's a little button, little section there. You click on it. It says reviews. Leave a review. If we like it, you get a free t-shirt. How about that? Yeah. We like you anyway. If you want to pump your body and expand your mind, there's only one place to go. Mind Pump. Mind Pump. With your hosts, Sal Stefano, Adam Schaefer, and Justin Andrews. When Justin feels compelled to sing, I think it's beautiful. Yeah, man. I think I, when you call upon it, it's less beautiful. It, it's forced. When I call upon it. <laughs> I summon. <laughs> you do. You try and summon it sometimes. And yeah. I can see Justin over there. Fuck, fuck. He's just racking his I brain. Hate it. And then he comes out. With you know something. what it is? It's the creative process. It's the creative mind. This is the problem with, with working with creative people mm. is you can't push us. No. You just I say us because I, I am also. You're uh, one of us. I'm a, yeah, I'm a, uh, well, I don't know. Some people have said creative genius. Whatever you want to call me. <laughs> It was thrown out. Whatever there. you want to say, <laughs> you people. Whatever name me. you want. I don't want to. Bl- I don't like to be stuck in a box. No, you know? I don't want to be defined. Yeah. but I've heard mentions. Yeah, but I, you know, but no, it's true. Like you can't force creativity. Like, no. hey, Justin, sing, and he's like, "Fuck, I can't." Yeah. Oh, like, hey, have you guys? You know, you just reminded me of something. So I, I've been sick in bed for the last three days. I like I've watched probably a fucking million shows. I, you know, I'm going through like. Is Apple. it more STD stuff? I yeah, know, totally. Probably. Uh, have you? Do you? Guys, are you guys familiar with Banksy? Yeah. Are you? He's that. Yeah, he's the graffiti artist, the yeah. famous Who? one. No, yeah, you're I'm not, not. You're not at all. Uh-uh. Oh, you're gonna have to research it, Justin. You'll. It's actually pretty fascinating. Yeah, you just step out on this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, excuse me. I've I've already watched a couple documentaries on him. He has a new one that's called. Well, it's not his because nobody even knows who he is. Which, which is I fi- brilliant. I find that super fascinating. Brilliant. Yeah. That's part of his uh, mystique. Yeah. He's- uh, So he well, just he, spray paints shit. Oh, but it's Whoa, politically- It's, it's like very, very intelligent. And it's okay. politically charged and it's like- uh, I mean, it's just, when you look at, if you look him up, you'll see some of his yeah, pictures. Yeah, go to, go to Instagram right now. Go to Instagram and go Banksy. You'll find B-A-N-S-K-Y. it. B-A-N-S-K-Y. Yes. Okay. So they have, there's a new one out called Saving Banksy and- so now, okay, so he's, I've followed this stuff uh, for quite some time. I've always been intrigued by his art. And like Sal said, I, uh, I think it's really cool as far as some of the stuff that he puts out there. I wonder how he makes money. You know, what's crazy. So check this out. So oh, I've seen these. Yeah. So he doesn't, I, he doesn't make any money from selling any of his stuff. Like, so his, his graffiti art now has become so uh, well known that people will go like, so he, he made a tour in San Francisco, I think uh, a year or two ago. Well, it's been a couple of years now. I'm sorry. Um, a, a while back, he made a tour in San Francisco and f- for a while there, every day, a new piece popped up. 
that was Banksy. Now, what sucks is that people will go over and destroy it and paint over it. And uh, so this get the documentary is about this guy who goes and <laughs> and he makes a deal for the the last piece that was not painted over or destroyed was on this building, and uh, it was on this wood siding on a second story building, and it's his his infamous rat that has the uh, social the social the socialist uh, star or whatever oh. uh, on his hat and he's uh, spray painting this line that says I draw the line uh, across the building well they they he goes and he long story short took like a year's worth of negotiating to get the building people to allow him to cut it off ends up co- costing this guy thirty two thousand uh, dollars to pay for everything right to get it done the cool part about what this guy was doing was, he wasn't looking to make money off of it. He wanted to capture He's just a, a huge fan of Banksy, and he wanted to capture his art, and he wanted to put it in a museum. Now, the irony is this. So he, he gets this all done. He tries to take it to a museum. All the museums refuse it. Nobody will put his art up because it's, you know, and if you know about Banksy and the, some of the stuff that he stands for, too, he's really anti-establishment. So he's anti-establishment, and the, and the, he thinks that the art world is very political too. Mm-hmm. That it's a bunch of millionaires that, you know, you know, their millionaire painter buddies put their art up, and everyone's it's just this, you know, mm-hmm. fucking fake fake art house it, of mirrors. Yeah. He, totally right. So that's kind of like his his thing. Well, so they won't they won't put it up in a museum, and he starts getting offers from private collectors that want to give him two hundred thousand dollars and three hundred thousand dollars. It eventually goes up to where people are offering him $700,000 for this piece of art that he can't get give away. And the show actually ends, the whole thing is about his journey to like give this piece of art to a museum and no museum will take this art. And so he's stuck with a piece of of art that he's waiting for it to finally get recognized to get put into a museum that people are offering him $700,000 for and he's <laughs> not taking super fascinating wow. yeah yeah super fascinating and his artwork is fucking badass so we don't know how he makes money no no nobody even knows who he is like he keeps his they uh I somebody mean, knows who he is yeah no yeah. They, they actually interviewed other artists He's batman and yeah. they these other artists talk about knowing and have yeah. have met him before and stuff but you know they're they're all very private about it so we and, know for sure it's a guy well they they refer to him as a him Okay, but you know, he they talk early on in the in the documentary, like you don't know if it's a he or she or whatever. Oh wow, yeah, it could be a she. They don't. That's know. really cool. Yeah, it's it's That's really cool. Uh, it, it, his work is neat. I just think it's fascinating that you would do something like that. You he knows by now that his stuff is so. They at the end of the show too, they started doing like all these pieces that are getting sold to private uh, private auctions and millions of dollars. Like it just the show just starts going like. You know, piece after piece after piece after piece, 1.5 million, 700,000, 500,000, 2 million, like all these pieces of art that he did that he makes zero dollars from that are getting sold. That's He's cr- in some ways brilliant crazy. and in yeah. some ways, what the fuck, dude? Yeah. <laughs> Well, Why? it's not it's not about money to him. Obviously. No, uh, totally yeah, not. It's I mean, it's like he's he's obviously like making a point. Like, well, this we, is his life's legacy. We're huge fans of yours if you're listening, Banksy, yeah. and uh, <laughs> we're big, you know, fans and we understand what you're doing. And if you want to come into Mind Pump Media and paint on our wall, we totally won't sell it for yeah, a million man. dollars. Just do it, yeah. you know. You're such a liar. Yeah. <laughs> we, won't, we won't expose you, you know. Yeah, we won't. Adam anybody. won't sell it for a million dollars. Yeah. Um, when's the last time you guys have been to Disneyland? I went for my sister's 30th birthday mm, two years ago, and I was 
super impressed. When did you go to Disneyland? When was that? Uh, four years ago. Okay, so recently. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because I was before there. Before that, it wasn't, high school was before that, so it had been forever. Yeah, because I went, I just came back recently. You guys know why I went to Disneyland, right? I don't know. Yeah, did yeah, I tell yeah. the audience what happened? You did. You, you did. mentioned, yeah, that was the deal. You made it with your daughter. Yeah, so my daughter, basically, I fucked up and uh, booked a vacation right around the time we're supposed to do some, like this annual father-daughter dance at her school. So I missed it. And so I'm like, oh shit, I'm going to scar her for life. So she's very smart. So best way to make up for she's that. Seven Take years her old. to Disneyland. She's seven years yeah, old. She's her smart, idea. very intelligent. And she capitalized on it. And she's like, fine, take me to Disneyland. So we did. We went to Disneyland for a day. And it was great. But fuck, man. Uh, Disneyland. An hour and a half wait for everything. Everything. Right. Food, you wait for a fucking hour. Of Every ride is an hour and a half. It's like you go there for the whole day and you go on three rides. Crazy. Mm. It drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. It's insane. She had the time of her life, but what I wanted to tell you guys, I had this little um, this little situation that happened when we were there. And, you know, when you have kids, you you especially if you take time aside to really be with them for an entire day, which, believe it or not, doesn't happen that often. It was one thing that kind of uh, came to me like, man, I don't really do this enough where I just spend a whole day with just one of my kids because you see a whole – you see them – uh, like uh, other sides of them, like mm. you know what I mean. Like you the realize, they really think. Well, their individual personality, yeah. right? Because with with your siblings and the family, you're 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 one kid, and then when you pull, I think you know who talked about this was Ben Greenfield. Yeah, about you, how he you know he has to separate the twins so they have their own individual personality. Dude, you don't realize how like how um, smart they are, like how observant they are, and mm-hmm. and then you get to observe them as well. And one thing that I observed, so we're, when we go there, I made rules, right? I told my daughter, I said, look. You're going to get one stuffed animal, one piece of clothing, and you get to eat one treat. Okay? So these are the three things that you, that we agree upon before we get there. Because you know what happens when you take your kids to Disneyland. Oh, yeah. I want that. Everything. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So the one that I stuck hard on was the treat. We ended up with fucking 10 stuffed animals and a bunch of clothes and shit. And it's like fucking ridiculous. Oh, my God. Broke so the bank. Great. Oh, dude. I was going to say, I could have sworn I saw a picture and she was holding more than one stuffed animal. Oh, dude. And she knows. Oh, look. It's a unicorn. Oh, my God. It's so cute. And I'm like, oh, all right. Get it. Anyhow, uh, so we got cotton candy. That was the treat. And I filmed it. So she's eating the cotton candy. And... You know, the rate and speed at which she's eating it is accelerating as the sugar starts to hit her system. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm going to film what happens with this. I have the video on my phone. I'll show you guys. I'm like, I'm going to film what happens with this. Because you hear people saying, uh, experts, quote unquote experts, who say, no, sugar doesn't have these effects on, on people, these, these drug-like effects. And any parent will disagree with that. Like, yeah, any parent. Immediately. Yeah, anybody who has kids will tell you, bullshit, sugar clearly affects my children's behavior like a drug. So she's eating the cotton candy. We get in line for a ride. She, I made her throw half of it away because the cotton candy is like the size of her. So I'm like, there's no way you're going to eat 100 grams of fucking sugar at once. So she ate half of it. We threw the rest of it away. We're in line and she's f- like out of her mind. She's literally out of her mind, twirling and dancing. Now, and- how to back up a little bit. How did that go for you? Because I, I imagine that would be a struggle for most parents that once you gave it to them, that taking it away halfway through, or did you no, disclose she knows. that before? Yeah, no, okay. no, 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 no. He, he, I don't want to set this. I don't want to give her a negative uh, relationship. That's why food. I'm curious. Share. Yeah, I think it's I don't want to take it away and be like you're eating too much. I told her when we ordered. I said, "Look, that's a big cotton candy. I think half is probably plenty for you. What do you think?" And she's like, "Okay." And she's of course agreeing because she wants the cotton candy. So we've already established that. 
So when she gets to like almost half, I'll say, well, it looks like you're almost halfway done. Let me know when you're halfway done so we can throw the rest away. So then she comes to me and says, and I wait for her like, okay, Papa, I already eat half. We can throw the rest away so it's not that big of a deal. Nonetheless, I'm watching her. We're in line. All of a sudden, she's fucking twirling and dancing. She's hugging like like there's like podiums uh, uh, that are next to the line. And she's like, you know what? We're in line, but I don't even care. I don't care that we're in line. This is great. And she's dancing and she's delirious and acting silly. And I'm videotaping her and I'm laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, you look like you have a lot of energy. She's like, I just feel really good. And she's twirling and I'm videotaping her. And so then I stopped the videotape. So I'll show you guys. What, uh, after the after we're done with the podcast, and then I wait, I wait for the crash. I was just gonna uh, say because <laughs> we're in line for a full hour, right? Yes. So her um, her little you know acting you know hilarious and crazy, like she took drugs, is lasting for about it lasted for about twenty five thirty minutes. So for about twenty five thirty minutes, it's hilarious. I'm laughing. She's all over the place. About the thirty minute mark, you could tell something switches, and she's kind of just like. Oh. <laughs> and you know all of a sudden she's like papa pick me up uh, yeah. i don't want, can you hold me and uh, i don't want to be in line anymore and then she's sitting down on the floor holding one of the stuffed animals i bought her and she's just kind of and i took a picture of her holding the stuffed animal and it's like i, I couldn't have staged it better like the before and the after and i and i'm trying to connect the dots i'm like it looks like the sugar crash has hit you and she's like yeah i don't feel good anymore how much longer is the line and i'm just like this is hilarious man this is now, when crazy. that happens, do you do you help her connect that mm-hmm. with the sugar? Mm-hmm. So, what do you say to her? What do you say, honey? Do you know that this is the way you feel right now? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. No, I tell her. I said, you know, what just happened is the sugar hit your system. Your insulin, which is a hormone, went up, and it takes all the sugar and it puts it to use, and you get all these feel good, uh, you know, chemicals in your brain, and you feel really good. But then when it runs out. Uh, you start to feel bad because now you don't have these things that make you feel good. And then her response is, well, why don't I keep eating it to keep feeling good? I said, because over time you'll feel less and less and less good and you'll start to just feel bad. And so we don't want to necessarily do that. And she's like, okay. So that was that. But man, it's hilarious. I got to show you guys the video <laughs> and the picture. It's yeah. like I couldn't have staged it any better. And the other well, thing I noticed about yeah, the- I mean, they're so like not candid about it, you know, like the way that like – everything's effects like kids like they're just like so like <laughs> it's so transparent you can see it all kind of unfold like that right in front of you it's hilarious. bro it's yeah. hilarious to me and then the i've seen it multiple times oh. well, this is, i think it's so important though to, to i mean i'm glad you brought this up because i think um i don't think enough parents do this i feel like i've been around tons of parents that that tell their kids oh no stay no candy because they know it affects them but it's just like no you yeah. know that's all it is and then i feel like when you do that then eventually they rebel and that's all they, they want because yep. they can't have it yep. versus explaining to them like, this is why, because when you have this, you feel this way and then no one talks about how you feel afterwards and that's caused by all this sugar rush. No, help you your kids connect the dots because when they start to connect the dots, they start to make the decisions themselves. Yeah, they make healthier choices on their own. It's a fact that authoritative, you know, authoritarian type parenting is only effective for so long. And then when they're out of your sight, they're going to do all that shit that they, you told them not to do. Like, <laughs> There's a reason why kids go off to college oh my God. and do a bunch of crazy shit and binge drink and, you know, you know. Oh, even before that, you go to like the grocery store and you buy one of those like whole things of like cookie dough 
and you eat the whole fucking thing. I mean, is that just me? <laughs> like, what are we talking about, dude? Like, you know, like that was like as a kid, like it was like the the holy grail. You know, was to go grab one of those things and uh, eat it on, on my way home from school. But, oh but I'll tell you what, man. Here's a, it's so funny too how different my two kids are. Like my son, in this particular regard, is just like me. Like he's 11, right? Will refuse to go on any type of a roller coaster refuse like oh wow really won't fucking go on it now that's like my brother now i didn't go on a roller coaster till i was like 14 oh and shit it, yeah and because i was i didn't want to i was scared and i only went on because of massive peer pressure like i ended up going to great america with a bunch of friends and, co- and my cousins and i went and i was already knowing like oh fuck i gonna have to go on these rides and you didn't want to be the big pussy yeah and so i did and then of course i got over my fear uh, my son is just like me, doesn't like him, so I, and I'm cool with it because I was the same way. So I'm like, no, dude, I totally get it. My daughter is like my brother. My brother, when he was a little kid, would cry because he couldn't go on because he wasn't tall enough. I mean, the scarier the ride, the more he wanted to be on it. My yeah, daughter is exactly – she's <laughs> just like that. So we're going on whatever, and I know – the the ones that are challenging to her aren't the roller coasters. They're the the scarier stuff, like the haunted house kind of stuff. Oh, okay. So we get to Disneyland, and I'm like, hey, I'm like, do you think you're ready to go to the haunted house? And she looks at me. She goes, I think I'm ready. So we get in line, and we're go, we're in line to go on it. And I can tell she's like anxious, right? So she's like holding my hand, and she's kind of acting like she's a little anxious. And then we start to get in there. And I don't know. Do you have you guys been in the haunted house? Are the one that yeah. drops the floors? No, 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 no. That's a uh, that's a, the California Adventure. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, no. This is the one where you're like sitting in the, the the thing and it's driving you around and there's ghosts and scary things. Yeah, that this pop is out. the one that drops the floors. The very first moment you step in, then all of a sudden, you start oh yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, no. So we go in. I thought you were talking about the the twi- the I don't know what's called the. Oh yeah, the, not not like you're dropping dramatically. It's yeah, just no, like, no. yeah. It's like an elevator. Yeah. So we go in there and then the scary voice voice comes on and the lights turn dark. And she immediately wants me to hold her. And so I pick her up and she tries to bury her head. And so I'm like, okay, Alessia, I'm like, you know, keep your eyes open. You don't want to miss it. I said, remember, you thought you said you were going to be brave. I said, it's okay to be scared, but try not to close your eyes so you don't miss what's going on. So this poor little kid, man. So she's keeping her eyes open. Then we go through the whole ride and she's holding my hand and her hands are sweating and they're cold. So she's totally getting anxious, right? <laughs> and she's, you know, she wants to close her eyes, but she's keeping it open. And the whole time she's explaining to me how everything's fake. Because she's trying to tell herself. Oh, of course. She's trying to convince herself. Yes. Sure. So she's like, oh, gosh, that's so fake. That's not a real ghost. That's all projections. And that's just a hologram. And that's not real. Look at that. I can see that it's plastic. And I'm like, you're right. It is fake. And, you know, I'm talking her through it. And and the fucking worst thing of all time could possibly happen. Worst fucking thing ever. Right. Stops. Yes. Right through the part. Where it's dark and there's fucking things popping out, I've like, that like ugly, like things popping out and shit. Yeah. Fucking ride stops. Oh, man. You know, hey, we're you know, you know, ghouls have messed up the ride and now it's going to be frozen. But we'll we'll get you know, our technicians are looking at it and I'm like, oh god, you got to be fucking kidding me. <laughs> so we're stuck in like this total scary part of the ride. And my daughter's oh. sitting there holding my hand. She's like, how long is it going to be stuck for? I'm like, I don't know, honey. It's fine. It's <laughs> oh not a big God. deal. Oh, so great. she's talking her way through it. and uh, But at the end of it, she was super like proud of herself that, That's she, awesome. that, that she made it totally through. Remind, and this is not related at all to kids, but when uh, when I was in Chicago, um, I don't know where it was, but it was like this. It was like a great America. It was like close by. I think it might have been in Wisconsin, but uh, I decided to go there with one of my one of the 
uh, coworkers that I worked with at this bar. And so ahead of time, we pre-gamed it and we had like some vodka and we brought the vodka with us and they had these like, um, these frozen, uh, lemonades. And so we put it in the frozen lemonade. Oh, it's a great idea. Let's, let's keep this party going. That right. That's like a good idea. Yeah. It was awesome at first. And then, um, <laughs> so we, we got in line and we got into this, this roller coaster that was fucking gnarly. Right. And it's, it's like a bunch of loop-de-loops and all that where you go upside down and all this kind of stuff. And uh, so I'm sitting there with this girl, and we're going through and having a good time and all that. I'm just getting kind of woozy. And we end up where the ride literally stops, and we're fucking upside down. Yes. Oh, no. And I was just like, I was just feeling you're pressure just, in my hanging. face. I, I swear to God, my face was like turning bright red, then it turned purple. And then I'm just like, it, it was like five minutes, dude, which is a fucking eternity upside down, right? And I just was, I just lost. I look at it, I'm sorry, you're going to have to turn your head. And I was like, <laughs> no way, you puked when you were upside down. All over, and then just splatted all over the the ground like i heard all these people below like ah! <laughs> i've seen that happen oh, but you so were bad. actually that guy that's fucking great dude i was drunk you know i was like drunk and like upside down for five minutes like you do the math is that the most embarrassing thing you've done in public it was, it was bad yeah I, was, I actually wasn't even embarrassed i was just like fuck that sucked you're yeah. such an <laughs> asshole probably threw up on hella people and I probably just, splattered on the only thing worse than that sure. would be shitting yourself well I'd rather throw up, obviously. But yeah, yeah, obviously. You don't want to be on a ride yeah, stuck and then crap yeah, yourself. It's not even close. Wow. Yeah. Bring it. Bring the bird. Today's Quaw is being brought to you by Chimera Coffee. It's the only coffee that is infused with all natural nootropics for a cleaner, calmer, and more focused buzz without the crash. Click the Chimera link at mindpumpmedia.com and input the discount code MINDPUMP at checkout for 10% off. It's the motherfucking quad. The eagle has landed. First up, Ethan Hale, 33. How do you address sticking points in the big lifts? So are the, uh, I'm assuming, because I, I think this question could be go one of two ways. Either A... Like a sticking, literally a sticking point in the lift. Like there's mm. a like within the rep, like maybe at the bottom of a bench press or midway up with a deadlift, or at a or certain weight, or sticking at a certain weight. Yeah, which I guess it's kind of the same thing, right? Well, um, yes and no. I'm guessing it's the first thing you mentioned. Oh, you think so? That, yeah, the, there's a sticking point within the lift where they can't overcome. Because I think I think a sticking point within the lift is going to be uniquely different per compound lift, you know what I'm saying? Well, I wouldn't you think that uh, see and here's the thing like if you have a sticking point in a lift like like I'm stuck at let's say 225 pounds in the bench press, you're going to have to address or you should address the actual sticking point within the rep, right? Yeah. Because if you're if you're stuck at 225, there's probably a part of the rep. Yeah, there's a part of the rep where you can't overcome easy. Yeah, where you're fucked, yeah. and then there's other parts of the rep where you could where you could lift the weight. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Um, here's some of the things that I do when it comes to, and this is purely a performance based. I was uh, just gonna say this. I think I'm glad you said that because here's yeah. the. I think I cared about this stuff way back when. Yeah. You know, like I I, I remember like caring about seeing an increase in my bench press and squat, which not to say that I don't like to see increases in PRs, but I, I never, I never really got, uh, for that long into like, okay, I, you know, I got to start gearing my programming around, you know, breaking through these sticking points in mm-hmm. my lifts. And the only way I see it 
really that valuable is if this is kind of your sport or like this is what your your goal is, right? I mean, if this is this person's personal goal, like, hey, I'm stuck at 225 on my squad and I can't seem to break that or my bench mm-hmm. or whatever like that. Although to get... Or if it's a range of motion thing. Yeah, right? I was like just going to say. Getting depth or, or if, you know, if, if they're in a position where if they're bench pressing and like they know obviously it's in the lowest part of the lift where then like, you know, recruiting, they don't have that recruitment, the amplitude that they could pull from. Like that's a problem like they need to address uh, you know, if if they're taking that kind of into all kinds of other different moves. And the other thing, too, to keep in mind is kind of big picture. If you do have a sticking point in your lift and you address it, you may be, and if you do it smart, you're going to be addressing many times mobility issues, maybe, uh, you know, connectivity issues, maybe some muscle imbalances, right? Yeah. If you If you look at it the right way. You know, you know this, what I'm saying? This actually makes me want to... You know yeah. what, Doug? You should write this down. This, should, this would be a good little uh, YouTube series right here. Oh, yeah. That'd be a great YouTube series. Yeah, because I feel like there's so mm-hmm. many parts to this. And we're trying, I know we're all... We're, there's a lot of different scenarios we yeah, can play all, with. We're, like, we're all know, talking... this happens, then yes, this. Yeah, right, right. There's a lot of different well, uh, here's, scenarios. So a couple things. Uh, not to go too off topic, but I'll tell you why I like sticking points. I like sticking points because if you address them properly, the potential for improvement... Uh, within a sticking point can be huge. And I'll yeah. give you an example. I've more recently been working on uh, my depth and mobility and connectivity with my squats. For a long time there, I squatted to parallel and I got to a pretty heavy squat. Some of my PRs are in the 400 pound range, but I wouldn't break parallel with it. As a result, uh, below parallel, uh, I did, had very little strength, I had very little control. In fact, going below parallel was difficult without pain. So more recently, and when I say recently, I say over the last maybe four months, I've been working on mobility. And because I've been working on mobility, I've had to regress on my weight tremendously. But I've noticed more muscle gains during this period of time than I did before. And, and I think this is why. Let's say my, my weight is stuck at, I don't know, 300 pounds in my squat. And it's been stuck at 300 pounds for a long time. And I'm pushing it. And I'm really trying to get stronger. If I add 15 pounds to my squat over the course of a year, that's very successful. Like I've done a huge, you know, it's a huge accomplishment. Wow, I've been stuck at 300 pounds. Now I can squat 315. It's taken me a year, but a 15-pound increase is, is amazing. But if I'm working on my mobility, I have to drop my weight down to 135 pounds, for example. I'm just using arbitrary weight, but 135 pounds, and I'm working on getting connected and whatever, and that's all I can squat with good form, with that depth, with that mobility, with that connectivity. Now, over the course of a year... It's totally within realm to be able to go from 135 to 235 or 275. I've now added 100 pounds to a new range of motion. That's going to be a that's a bigger difference. You see, that's 15 pounds over 100 pounds. Sure, I'm not squatting as much weight, but I've added a lot more weight within a new range of motion. And I've noticed that. Like recently, I just recently squatted 300 pounds all the way down, which I've now ne- which I've never yeah. done before. Yeah. And I've squatted over 300 pounds before at parallel. But I'm looking at my legs, and my legs are looking amazing because yeah. that potential, that growth potential was fucking huge because three months ago, I wasn't going over 135. Now I'm 300 pounds. Holy shit, that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's over 100 pounds I've added to my squat in a very short period of time. So that's, that's what I like about sticking points. Now, here's what you want to look at first when you're looking at a sticking point within your rep. The first thing you want to look at is 
how connected are you to that particular well, part let, of let's that? Exp- rep? Let's explain what that means so, so our listeners understand. Like, so a sticking point within the rep would mean like, and we'll use, you just use squatting. Let's use bench press sure. as an example. So like a sticking point would be, you know, somebody can get the, the bench pressing and they don't have a problem getting the 225 off their chest, but the lockout. They before, can't extend their they can't, elbows. Yeah, they can't, the they can't extend their elbows. So the elbows, top part of the rep. Yes, to re-rack it, you know, yeah. and, they, and they do these kind of short reps, which I actually is pretty common because you see a mm-hmm. lot of, I've seen a lot, of, especially in the bodybuilding community, a lot of bodybuilders do these short little pumping reps mm-hmm. that they do, but then they can't take that rep through full range of motion. So that would be a sticking point. You know, it's funny. It's more, uh, that is not a natural sticking point, by the way. That's more of a trained sticking point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Because for naturally, we're stronger at, at extension, at full extension than we are when we're way, way down by our chest. Mm-hmm. I think that you're right, Adam, 100%. That's totally a result of the way people train. And so now you have people with lockout issues. But an easy thing you can do uh, with your lockout is to use uh, you know band-assisted and chain-assisted type lifting where the weight uh, is you know maybe heavier at the bottom, a little lighter at the top, so you can, you can overload the areas that you're strongest in but, but also challenge those top reps. Or... Just train that particular range of motion. So, if I have issues with lockout, I may just I may do my normal bench press workout, but then at the end I'll add, or maybe a, a separate day, add kind of partial reps, or I'm only, or floor presses, or something where I'm only going down that far and focusing on getting strong in that period, in that particular range of motion. Actually, before that, you know what I would do before that is I would just put myself in that particular range of motion. Hold it there and do isometrics. Yeah, squeeze isometric. This yeah, is, this is something that you know I've been definitely dabbling in with quite a bit because of the. I mean, going through like even just inventing you know this product and, and the axon stick and all this kinds of stuff. Like uh, trying to like understand uh, the recruitment process and how to amplify that process. And, and isometrics are very, very handy when it comes to sticking points because now. Um, what, what we're doing is we're bringing attention to this part of the lift at, at a higher level. And so, um, you know, if you, if you think of it more as like, okay, I need to, I need to, you know, make this signal louder. I need to, I need to uh, bring in the army here to, to come in and, and get more activity and more involvement, uh, with this portion of, of the movement that I'm actually trying to control. So, mm-hmm. um, any form of movement, you have to generate the force to produce mm-hmm. and, and that whole process is trainable. And so once you start to think in those terms, it kind of changes the landscape for you. So, you know, I had, I had lockout issues with my overhead press because I had always pressed and stopped short of lockout kettlebell overhead carries. That's man, it. Right. And now I, I can, know I noticed a big difference. Did when you? I started, yeah. Absolutely. And that's all isometric, yep. yeah, you, you yeah. know? So if you have a sticking point at the top of your rep, just get I, a heavy ass weight and hold it there. Or if you have a sticking point at the bottom of the rep, Get a weight, bring it down to that bottom part, and do pause reps. You, where you're it. holding it at that Hold bottom it, part. Squeeze, I, I, I think we would all agree. Then, focus on. Uh, it. I think isometric would be first. I do really like though that you brought up chains and bands though, because this is like being a guy who trains alone a lot, um, almost always. This is how you know. First, I would do like you just said, the isometric. So I would I would do isometric holds in the position where I'm weak at, where my sticking point is, uh, and then the next thing that I would do is incorporate chains and bands and then mm-hmm. the way i would decide whether you use a chain or a band would be based off of where it's at like so chains are going to be much lighter at the bottom and, yeah, and more challenging the load that comes up so it, it gets more challenging uh you know the stronger portions of the load. and they so, do have a different feel like i i noticed when i use chain because you can use chains and bands similarly like i can attach a band 
to the bottom of something so that it's hardest at the top, just like with, you know, with chains. But the difference is in the feel. Like bands, yeah. I feel like don't damage me as much. Like I can yeah, do bands more consistent. often. It's consistent. It's consistent resistance. They're, clo- they're, they're close enough that I don't, that's not normally how I manipulate the chain and band. I would use bands On the top. from the top down because that's where they're really different, right? Yeah. Because you can't do that with the chains. Yeah, so, it's heavy, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. so it's lightest at the bottom. Well, yeah, it's just a different feel, right? Yeah, you can't do that with the chains. Yeah, no. yeah, the chains are going to be the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Chains are going to be... So it helps you more and it sort of trains the process. Process as opposed to like you're resisting through it. Yeah, this is what really helped me. Like when I was breaking through that 400 pound mark for squatting, and I was, you know, a lot of that is just, you know, and, and part of that's the isometric, right? Just I've never put, you know, before I had ever put, you know, 400 pounds on my back. Mm-hmm. I mean, just holding that oh, weight yeah. and just re racking. You need to recognize it. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. Just so I love, you know, grabbing, you know, 50 pound assisted bands on each side, you know, suspended from the top holding that 400 pounds on my back, which, you know, back then I couldn't do by myself, you know, feeling that weight and in an isometric position for a second and then boom, go down in it. And I know I'm being assisted at the bottom. So I know I'm going to be able to get out of it, get out of that squat. So it's really like I'm squatting probably 300 and something. God, you know what I'm going to start doing? I'm going to try this uh, and I'll report back. This is very interesting. I have never truly programmed it into my workouts in this particular way. What I think I'm going to start doing in some of my lifts is after I'm done, with an exercise like squats or whatever. So let's say I'm squatting 300 pounds and I'm done with my sets. I'm going to put like 400 pounds on, unrack the weight and just stand with it real tense for like 20 seconds and then rack it and just do one mm-hmm. set like that. Mm-hmm. I wonder what that will do. I've done this. Oh yeah. So you've literally oh, done it that yeah. way. So, I mean, like I said, I've had to get creative being a guy who trains by himself all the time. Uh, and uh, I'm not a fan of having to rely on a spot. Or so no did workout. you do it at the end of your set, like a, like at the end of your workout? Um, or whatever? No. So what I would actually do is I would actually it would be like a like so um, let's say I'm blasted from I just did legs you know the day before or whatever, uh, and so I'm you know I'm laying off of my squats today, but I still might go do an isometric hold with them. Oh, okay. So you on know, a different day. Yeah. So I, I and I don't think there's a, a right or a wrong reason, I, and I'd love to hear you report back by incorporating it, programming it. I think there's a lot of unique ways you can mm-hmm. do it, and I'm not saying one way is better than the other, but I definitely, um, you know, and that was like from an and you know the guy who first had me doing that when I was like 20 years old, like old school bodybuilder, and obviously no science behind it when he was telling me to do it, but there, you know, that was an old method, old method that they've used for a very long time is like, you know, and he used to tell me like you just you need to feel the weight. You yeah, need to you know what, acclimate to it. Yes, yeah, you need to know yeah. what your body, you know, because if you if you've never felt four hundred pounds on your back and the, the your max is like three fifty, then all of a sudden you're feeling It'll really shut str- down. Yeah, and then all of a sudden you put that. I'll tell you what, yeah, the first happened to me before. Yeah, the first time you put a real heavy fucking weight, or a go to deadlift a really heavy weight that you've never pulled before. There's that that holy shit factor of yeah. I've my body has never felt this. It freaks out. Yeah. So one of the best things to do is just to get that kind of weight in an isometric. I used to do the same thing with a bench press. I could. I couldn't bench press four plates, but I've lifted four plates off of off the bench press and held it in that isometric hold. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, like you do that a couple times. I've actually done it like this too, where I'll I'll start with that before I go into a heavy set, and then three fifteen feels that's priming yeah, feel, feels, feels better. Yeah, yes, that's, that's actually. I mean, that's that's a that's a that's a that's like a, a prime tech. Technique. Yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. It's absolutely totally a priming technique. Uh, the other thing too to keep it to here's something else I want to say about this. Uh, you know, it's funny. People will come to me and be like, oh, man, I did the Smolov squat, you know, routine and my squat went through the roof and it's this brilliant programming. And, and it's like, no, what you did is you just squatted more frequently. <laughs> right. Like, don't do not uh, forget frequency here. Yeah. So sometimes what you need to do is reduce your intensity 
So maybe cut the weight down a little bit in your lifts. Don't go to failure or don't go as intense and just do it more often. Yeah. Many times you'll find your strength will explode just from doing that. Well, that and phasing out of it too. Yeah. So we're not like, these are all great techniques, but you know, it has a, has a shelf life to them just like anything Good else. Point. Like, I mean, you could go, I mean, I could go on a spin of like just doing pause squats or paused reps with doing bench press and, and get a lot of benefit from that. Uh, you know, lowering the load a bit, but really squeezing the bar and like really bending it and getting more activity and recruitment. But you know, that's just a technique that I'm going to phase in and out of. Mm. That's such a great point because that that's my, I think that was where I was trying to go with the very beginning of this when I said like, yeah, it's not something I really worry about because most people are, that are tuning in because they want to be in better shape. You know, they want to lose body fat. They want to build some muscle and, you know, yeah, stick, these are more advanced things. They are. They, they're more advanced. They're more performance based. It's not, uh, you can develop your legs, you can develop your back uh, and continue to progress it and and not and be stuck at a sticking point somewhere that's not a it's not a factor and in fact what i catch a lot of times is you know young kids inside the gym that are doing these techniques that they saw somebody do mm-hmm. and they're they're doing these techniques so much that it's hindering their workouts cuz now it's taking away from these great full range of motion compound mm-hmm. lifts you know it's like don't let it take away from it should be uh you know in addition to uh your your good core work or foundational days Veronica Ray Jones is asking, is it natural to have a reduction in sugar cravings by focusing on eating for gut health? Um, That's a unique way to put that. I'll tell you what, uh, 100%. 100%. There is lots of preliminary science right now that's coming out that demonstrates that cravings are driven largely by your gut flora. So there's certain gut flora that will promote the cravings of carbohydrates and sugars and other gut flora that will promote the cravings of fats and, or proteins. Um, there's gut flora that will you know, modify behavior. I just learned this the other day. I don't know if you knew this or not, but lactobacillus, which is a common um, you know, probiotic that you'll buy at the store or whatever, they're now showing studies where people with anxiety will supplement with it and it reduces anxiety. Hmm. I mean, your, it makes perfect sense too. Think about it this way. Your body is more bacteria than it is human cells. That's literally how much how many bacterial cells that you have in your body. And they want to keep themselves alive. Just like any any living thing, one of the driving uh, you know, factors in, in being alive is trying to keep yourself alive. Yeah, survival. Survival. And so if there's bacteria that eats and feeds on sugar in your body, it is going to it's going to dominate. It is well, it's likely very, very likely, and like I said, there's science supporting this, and I believe more science is going to come out to show that this is conclusive, but it's very likely that this bacteria has evolved to influence your you, you and what you eat. It's, it drives you to get to go and seek out the macronutrients and types of foods that the bacteria itself wants to eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know this. When we take uh, you know, fecal, uh, you know, samples from people who eat diets that are, you know, high in fat or whatever, we find a general kind of fingerprint. It's always very individual, right? We don't know enough about it yet, but we do More see- More like a smudge. We do. <laughs> that's gross. Yeah. We do see a kind of general, you know, uh, uh, fingerprint or uh, some general trends with people who eat particular diets and other uh, versus other people who eat other types of diets. We also know when we, with an animal studies, when we do fecal transplants, and what they'll do is they'll take a mouse and they'll raise it in a germ-free environment, and it'll be sterile, so it won't have any any 
gut floor and then they'll give it a fecal transplant that it will start to have or want to eat similar to the host of the, the, the poop that it got transplanted into it. So if the, the eating preferences of the mouse who we got the, the poop from preferred eating a certain way, when we transplant that to the sterile mice, they then start to mimic those similar types of cravings. Uh, so it's really fascinating, fascinating yeah. stuff. And of course, there's the, the, the studies now that are demonstrating that uh, when you take obese mice and you transplant their, you know, they do, you do a fecal transplant from an obese mouse to a germ-free mouse, so now it populates that mouse, that that mouse then starts to gain weight as well, eating the same amount well, it of It seems energy. like this real interesting relationship where both parties benefit or, you know, say you start introducing something else that changes the environment, they benefit less, so you kind of cycle them out, like... Uh, but meanwhile, they're probably fighting to stay alive, putting out signals and cravings. So it's this real sort of interesting ecosystem that lives within us. I, I find this really tough to answer just because I feel like there's it's tough for us to measure what a healthy gut looks like. We, we I, That's very true. We know, yeah. well, you're right. We know, we know what an like. unhealthy one looks well, like. Well, we, right? know, we know what, like the symptoms of having a healthy gut, but it, it's hard for us to look. To measure it. Not just to measure quantify it. quantify it. Yeah, like if you have an unhealthy gut, we, we have yet to be like, here's your you know, probobiotic cocktail that you need yeah, that will to make you, you healthy. Yeah, 30% more healthier. You, yeah, you, or we whatever. Don't, we, don't we, don't have, have. we don't have this yet, so it's really... You know, we're skating on thin ice when we're when we're uh, when we're advising with something like this. I mean, I think what we do know is that it, I think it serves it serves us to always be trying to eat healthier and be mindful of what we're putting in our body. And we do know that diversify the, your nutrients. Yes, and all that kind and of we, stuff. And we and we do know that the gut is attached to the brain, and and it's an inverse relationship. And you know, they're, 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 I think that part of it is important. I think that uh, w- all the studies that are coming out with sugar, I think we, we and, and I, I'm really adamant about this because, I, I, you know, we, re- we didn't put a question up here, but somebody asked a question about, um, you know, us demonizing high carb, you know, meals and, and, you know, like we're anti-carbohydrates or sugar, this, that. I think it's less of that and it's more of just helping people be aware mm-hmm. of, of what it can, what it can cause or where it can lead us and just understanding that, you know, so. Well, do, it, it's, I tell you what, man, um, there, I'm going to, I'm going to let everybody know right now, the next 20, 30 years, what we're going to learn yeah. about the microbiome and it's in, and how it influences our behavior is going to be so fucking earth shattering that I think a lot of people are just going to flat out, uh, not want to even accept it. Yeah. Like, oh no, we, it, we yeah. know, like I'll give you an example. Toxoplasma, which is a uh, a common uh, you know mic- uh, microbiome of uh, or excuse me bacteria found in cat poop or whatever. Um, when rats are exposed to it, strip off this. When rats are exposed to it, it suppresses rats' normal fear of cat smells. So when when how the fuck do they measure that? Because they infect the mouse. And they they first they see how. Rats are uh, yeah react to cats. how they react to cat smells. Okay. Then they'll infect them with this, and they're way less scared of cats of, of cat smells. There's uh, uh what is it T Gandhi? Um, well, remember, have you ever heard of like people doing? And I've heard of old people like uh, 
you know, if you grow up somewhere where there's like poison ivy or poison oak or something like that of like ingesting it and actually eating it and then you're like immune to it all of a sudden. Like, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know about that, but uh, what we're You've never heard that, people doing that before? I, no, I haven't, but and I want to make sure we're clear. I don't, we don't know. I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> don't no, I'm not, and I'm not saying that either. That was yeah. me reaching right there. But like uh, T. Gandhi, here's another one. I have this thing in front of me that I'm reading, uh, that I was reading earlier. It's really fascinating. T. Gandhi infected rats are reported to become sexually aroused by cat urine. Uh, rats, excuse me. So rats will get uh, sexually aroused by cat oh, urine when yeah, they're infected. Yeah, with them. yeah. I mean, it's really interesting stuff. We know for a fact that they uh, that micro microbial manipulation uh, will manipulate reward pathways, uh, production of toxins that alter mood. Um, there's changes in receptors, including taste receptors. So if we change the microbiome of animals, we know that it changes their preferences through their taste receptors. We can measure this. This probably happens in humans. Um, it'll hijack certain neurotransmitters uh, via the vagus nerve, which is the main neural axis between the gut and the brain. Like, there's so much that goes into this, and it's so fucking important that uh, I mean, this is one of my the main reasons why I'm against uh, things like artificial sweeteners and synthetic additives into foods because none of them have been studied on their effect on the microbiome because we didn't know to study it. Um, and some of the stuff that's come like sucralose, for example, we know for a fact that it really alters gut flora. We don't know what it means, but being that it alters it dramatically, probably not necessarily a good thing. That's where I would place my money. So, uh, definitely. And ch- here's the thing. Changing how you eat will then start to change your gut flora, which will then start to change your cravings. Which that, I mean, then this yeah. is anecdotal because I, I mean, think of the times where you've changed eating patterns and how your cravings now and like the foods that you desire oh, yeah. are different. I mean, I remember going through the ketogenic diet and then now wanting these healthy fats and, you know, and then I remember when I was like never ate vegetables and then starting to incorporate vegetables in my diet. Then my body actually craves vegetables. You know, I've never in my life until I got into my thirties, like craved a salad. Like that didn't happen until I had to change that, that the, the chemistry in my body. And that was partially by me first incorporating these foods and then staying consistent with it. And then you feel it change. You definitely can tell. I'm telling you right now, if you're interested in uh, being leaner and performing better and sleeping better, having better sex, like all the great things that we all want, pay attention to gut health. Um, if you're, if you get your gut healthier, you know, and you can tell through your stool, you can tell through your digestion. you know, there's, there's obvious red flags like, Oh, I have, uh, you know, um, acid reflux all the time or oh you know i tend to get constipated or i get bloated after i eat something these are red flags like if you start to address that and fix that you'll notice it you'll notice it'll be easier for you to get leaner you'll notice better performance in the gym you'll notice better energy better mood they've actually done studies to show when they give certain bacteria to 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 women that PMS symptoms reduce, that anxiety is reduced, that depression goes down. We think there's a we think it's connected strongly to, you know, just regular behaviors like, uh, oh my god, you know, I walk around all day long and I'm irritated. We know that it can even be connected to that. So, gut health is very important. Focusing on that, I mean, we we could very well be talking about the panacea of the root of all, most of, uh, of all of our issues. Well, the crazy part is it's, there's no doubt that it's, it's a part and it's affected it. What, what I, what we're trying to say and what I think what where we're leaning is that it could be way more important than what we've thought yeah. for a long time because it's just, and I, I think of the analogy of like, like a car, right? Like, 
you've got wheels, you've got the chassis, you've got the engine, you've got the, the computer, the computer system inside the electrical system. Like all these systems are important for this vehicle to run efficiently. And, you know, for the longest time, we've completely just ignored the gut. And now we're starting to realize like, oh, here's an important system. Imagine your car without, without one of those systems and will it run optimally? And it may well be the fucking engine. We don't even know. We, it may be much bigger than we think right now. We treat it like it's the fucking, you know, a difference between 91 and fucking 87 octane. (laughs) Let me tell you, if you got shitty gas, you're going to (laughs) backfire. Oh God. Right. Kate Foldpath. The best way to make friends if you're a naturally quiet person. Oh. So what is the best way? Justin's still struggling with this. Yeah. <laughs> are you know I'm what? not a quiet person. I'm his, ask, I'm his only friend. Yeah. I was just going to ask you, are you... Yeah. Do you no, I meant yourself? the friend part. I'm his only yeah. friend. That's yeah. what... Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Thank, thanks, Adam. For being my are you naturally a, a quiet person? No. I, you know, I'm selective. So uh, I, I, I naturally... Because I don't think you're an introvert. I'm naturally outgoing, to be honest with you. Like, especially if I'm one-to-one or like maybe like two other people. It's it's when I get more people like that, I just, I become a fly on the wall and I let people kind of talk it out. Mm. And I assess. I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm, hy- just, I'm hypercritical, you know, like I want to, I want to understand people before I get, I get on that level with them. Uh, to to kind of try and figure myself out, you know, I haven't really figured myself out with that why that is or anything yet, but uh, I definitely am not like I'm not quiet. I went through phases where people really thought that, you know, and like my family thought that because I just didn't talk like around the house because I was just like I didn't have any anything stimulating that they were talking about that I wanted to fucking talk. Well, about. Why are you so quiet, Justin? Wait, yeah, like you're all you, idiots. You're boring. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I don't know. Like it. If, if seriously though, like if, if you, if I understand you and like, uh, where you're coming from and like, you're totally not interesting to me at all, I won't talk to you. Like I could give a fuck about what you have to say. So like that, that's kind of how I discern and I navigate my way through. Well, you're, you're much more calculated. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I'm the opposite of me. Like I just, I just say whatever the fuck is on my mind. You know, <laughs> a lot of times it gets me in trouble. Sometimes I say something comes out brilliant. Other times not so much. Yeah. And I've just kind of, you know, made my way through life that way where I feel like you assess a lot more. You're very careful about what you say before you say something. It's why two people always compliment a lot of things that you say on the show. Although Justin doesn't say a lot on the show, but when he does, it's normally a powerful statement or he has, he has something, you know, really valuable to add to the statement. So, you know, where a lot of times you have to you have to feed through all the bullshit that I say, and then you know, oh look, there's finally something. you have the machine gun approach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna shoot Just out a bunch of shit. Out there, One yeah. of them is gonna Gatling hit. Gun, yeah. Yeah. Very much so. Very yeah. much so. You know, people, you do what works for you. You know, you know, there's a big myth out there that you're either a an introvert or you're an extrovert. Uh, the reality is, it's kind of like a spectrum. Yeah introvert on one side, extrovert on the other side. And most people are somewhere in the middle, you know, leaning more towards one or towards the other. Very rarely do you see classic introverts or extroverts. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I am 100% a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. A lot of people who know me, uh, especially if you listen to the podcast or if you've worked with me would say, oh, Sal, classic, you know, extreme extrovert. This is false. There's total situations where I'm an introvert, uh. where I'm very, very... Uh, shy or I, I feel out of my element. And so I've developed ways of being able to navigate those types of situations. So one of the things, uh, when I first started managing gyms, one of your jobs when you manage gyms or one of the things you're supposed to do is you're supposed to work on corporate accounts. And this is where you go to big companies 
and you talk to them about, you know, buying memberships for their employees. And this is a big source of revenue for gyms. Now, I loved all the other stuff that went into running a gym. I loved leading my team. I loved running meetings. I loved selling, you know, know, memberships. I loved doing announcements on the intercom and talking to my members. And when I'm in the gym, I'm as extroverted as you could get, as I could, as you could possibly imagine. Like I am not shy for shit. I could stand on the front desk and I could put on apparel and just have fun and have no problems. The second you took me out of the gym and you put me in front of a big wig at a company who's wearing a suit and now I'm sitting behind their, you know, in front of their desk and I'm talking to them about getting a corporate membership, I become uh, the opposite. I'm a total introvert. And uh, as a result, I did no corporate memberships whatsoever. I was notorious for doing zero corporate memberships and I performed very well because I was good at what I did, but I could have done so much better um, had I kind of learned how to navigate that. And I learned later on how to navigate that because when I opened up my my wellness facility, a lot of my clients were these kinds of people that uh, that used to sit behind these desks because my price point was high. So all my clients were kind of these affluent, you know, high achieving type people, and they're in my facility, so I felt very comfortable. But then I became friends with them, and then they'd invite me to go places with them. And now I'm somewhere with my doctor surgeon client and his surgeon friends, or my you know, CEO client with his, you know, whatever. And now all of a sudden I'm back in that fucking situation where I felt like an introvert. And the way I tackled it was, and this is, by the way, this is very, this is probably the best advice I could ever give anyone. It was fucking genius when I forgot who told me. And when I started doing this, it was like, wow, this is easy. Always remember that people love to talk about themselves. Oh, such great advice. And I don't give a fuck who it is. Such great advice. People love to talk about yeah. themselves. So if you're sitting in a room or you're somewhere and you need to, you want to make conversation because you want to make friends, easiest thing in the world you could do is ask, ask people about themselves. Just ask them about, hey, where did you get your shoes? Uh, oh, what do you do for a living? Wow, what's that like? What made, What got you into that? Yeah. Have you always liked doing that? What do you think about, and you just ask them their opinion on shit and ask them about themselves and people will fucking talk forever and you'll never have, it'll be so easy See, to converse with people. that's my problem because like I open that box and that's like a lot of that is where people think I'm quiet. Like I open that box and so then all they want to do is tell me about themselves. Yeah. And then you're like, and I They never ask you. me a question about <laughs> me. Yeah. You know what I mean? So like, I guess that a lot of this trial, uh, you know, and, and process with the podcast too, it's interesting because- you know, like I, I'm very fine with talking about myself, but like, uh, I'm also like my go-to is to ask you about you. Mm-hmm. That that's my go-to forever because that's how I it works. I keep the conversation going that yeah. way, you know. And it's like you're right; people definitely respond, dude. It's how you talk immediately. To girl- it's how you talk to girls. Oh, absolutely. It's how you talk to girls. It's how you talk to if you want to make friends at a bar. Yeah. If you're, you know, no, it's pro- you're right. That's probably some of the most brilliant advice you could give because it's it's along the lines of the direction that I was going to go is. You know, when I was younger, I wasn't like this super extrovert kid. Like, I did not like run around, run in my mouth all over the place. I was kind of shy. We moved around nine different homes growing up. I was I was a new kid on the block a lot of the times, and and had no friends, and then had friends, and then no friends, and had some friends, and so I went through this process of having to make friends in a new area a lot. And I'll tell you right now, it was uncomfortable as fuck at first, like. I didn't like that. Like, what kid would love to, like, hey, here you go, new school, yeah. meet, find your friends, you know? Oh, just kidding, we're going over here, new school, find some friends. Like, nobody nobody wants to fucking go through that, yeah. and no one wants to go through that as an adult either. So, but what, I, what it did do to me was it forced me in an uncomfortable situation where I knew I didn't want to be isolated and alone, and so then I, I had to kind of put myself out there. 
And sometimes I was rejected. Sometimes I was made fun of. Yeah. And then sometimes I met great people. And I, and I think the, the more I did it, the more great people I started to get connected to. And I started to realize, wow. And, and you, we were just making fun of me with the, the shotgun or the, uh, you know, machine, machine gun, gun approach. But you're, it's right on. I mean, that, that really was kind of the way I went about it was, you know what? Fuck, the more, more people I talk to, yeah, some people make fun of me. Yeah, some of these people you know, judge me. Yeah. But you know what? If I wouldn't have went to that person, that person, that person, I wouldn't have met him. If I went that person, that person, that I wouldn't have met her. And you know what? Those people have now become uh, important roles in, in my growth and in my life. And some of them become longtime friends. And so I, it was a, a very important lesson that I learned at a young age and I've now applied that in adulthood. I don't know how many times, like Sal said, I've been in situations where I'm very insecure. I'm sitting around a bunch of PhDs and, you know, these guys are just brilliant. And I'm like, fuck, this is, you know, I'm out of my league right now with in this group of, of group of men that I'm talking to. And the first thing I want to do is be quiet and just clam up and not say anything. But I also have learned that lesson early on that that's not going to get me anywhere because they're not going to remember who I am. They're, we're not going to go beyond this because if I don't say anything and if we don't talk, like I won't make any sort of an impact on their life and no, nothing will ever mature from this relationship. Mm-hmm. So I, I got beyond that fear. And then probably, like I said, Sal's best advice is, you know, how do you go from, you know, being scared to death to having this conversation because it's not that easy as, oh, okay, not having conversations and all of a sudden you're going to have like all these conversations. That right there is the exact strategy that I took was like, you know what? Like, I'm not going to get into this conversation where it's me talking and sharing a lot with these people that I'm not sure even want to hear about me. But you know what? Common denominator, especially with really intelligent people, they love to hear themselves talk. Yeah. Like, and so I would feed into that. You know, and ask questions and ask more questions. Oh, wow, that's cool. Tell me more about this. Tell me more about that. And it'd be hilarious because you leave those conversations and people are like, man, I really like, like they hit it off with you. And it's like, you really didn't have to say much. You just (laughs) asked a lot of questions, but they enjoyed the conversation so much because they got to talk about themselves for an hour and you just built a new relationship with somebody. And then as you get to know that person, it becomes easier to turn that into another relationship or a friendship. But you know what? I, I think... Well, f- and, and I love it too because I love people. I, and it was funny. Once I started doing this and they started talking about themselves, I was like, whoa, this is really cool because I like to know about people. Yeah. I find it fascinating anyway. Oh, yeah. my favorite thing that has about this job, about what we do now, 100% has to... I mean, fuck, we just got done uh, uh, interviewing somebody who has now become my favorite interview that we've done yet. And it's just, you know, we continue to meet fucking incredible people. And, you know, obviously if we, if we didn't get beyond facing our fears of getting, I mean, guy, could you imagine us? I mean, when we first started this podcast, we all had to get fucked up just to do it because it was not like any of us were in TV or radio. I shit my pants every time I open my mouth. Yeah, it was, it was something. (laughs) It's it was, Hey hey guys, Oh, it's, it's something that I, I think the first, the first good piece of advice is, you know, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid. I mean, face your fears, face your fears. Uh, don't be afraid to talk to others. I think Sal said it best with the, you know, ask about them, you know, get them talking first, but those uncomfortable situations, those will be some of the biggest, uh, some of the most growth that you'll have in your Dude, own life. Dude, I'm telling you, you can go into a room of strangers. I promise you go into a room of complete strangers and just start asking people questions about themselves yeah. and you'll be the fucking life of the party. Oh, for sure. It's the easiest thing in the world. Um, Next question. Actually, Doug, before you go into that, uh, I want to remind everybody, we have the 30 days of coaching 
which is free, and it's at mindpumpmedia.com. That's where we email you every day with bullet points of information, links to our videos and our podcast. It's absolutely free. Just go to mindpumpmedia.com and just sign up for it. Well, speaking of free, we're also giving the forum away for free this month if you get the RGB bundle or the Super Bundle, too. Yeah, you can find it at the same site, mindpumpmedia.com. All right. Who is Lisa P. is asking about cellulite? Why do I have it after training consistently for two years, and how do I get rid of it? Here's the thing about cellulite. There's a lot of controversy. Kind of so much controversy around cellulite. And there's some information that points to certain things, but there's nothing real conclusive yet. Now, we know what causes cellulite. It's really the connective tissue between fat that causes that kind of dimpled appearance. It's, a total, it's totally a normal thing. So if you have cellulite, you're not dying. It's nothing bad. Mm. Women get it at a much higher rate than men. It's something like 90% of women are going to have it at some point. And some are more genetically disposed to it than others. They right? are, and uh, and men usually don't get it. We do know that if you prevent yourself from getting it in the first place, that you can do that, or, if you, if, or, or should I say, if you address it early on, it's better than trying to address it after the fact. Yeah. So, um, so if you kind of keep yourself lean and keep your hormones balanced, keep circulation good, then you're, you're less likely to have an issue with it later on. And it's much harder to deal with once you finally do get it. But there are some hormonal connections because women, after going through menopause, the, 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 their, chan- their odds of getting cellulite, even if they're lean, go through the roof. Oh, really? Yeah. Like it's, it's very, like it's, you can even see like a kind of overweight, you know, younger girl. She's much less likely to have cellulite than a kind of overweight older woman. Um, or even women who are relatively lean. You'll see women who are lean, but then once they hit menopause, they'll start to develop cellulite. And they think it's hormonal. So one of the best pieces of advice that I've given people is to uh, stay healthy and keep your hormones balanced, which has to do with getting adequate fat intake, adequate water intake, and getting good sleep and managing stress. Like Those things alone will affect your hormones the most. And if those are off, even if you're fit and lean, like if you're fit and lean and you're not getting good sleep and, you know, your your health is kind of off, you're more likely, uh, you're probably more likely to get, you know, this kind of uh, cellulite. So don't just rub a bunch of cream all over yourself. You yeah, know, don't buy into all the bullshit. That's there's no there. science supporting any of that stuff. There's lots of anecdote. You know, there's like these uh, creams that have like caffeine in them and some that have like, I think, grapefruit seed extract or grapeseed hmm. oil. And there's anecdote that says, oh, maybe it works. There's massage uh, techniques that some people say works. And the, the the idea of the massage is they go in and they break up. The fat deposits. The, or well, they, they break up it. the connective tissue uh, in the between the fat cells that cause it to dimple up. Which what, I think what we know now about self-myofascial release, I don't think the, the possibility of that's very likely. I, I've seen women. I've had women who came to my wellness facility that weren't my clients who would come in and they were just bruised, bruised up on their arms and legs and like, oh, what are you, like, what's going on? Like, oh, I'm getting cellulite treatment. It reduces cellulite. And I asked them, well, does it work? And they said, well, yeah, it looks like it's less dimply. And I'm like, well, I wonder if it's the swelling. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I wonder it's if it's filling the, in all the dimples. Oh, my God. This is weird. Yeah, and, and it's like somebody yeah. coming in with like pain somewhere like, oh, that hurts. Here, come here. I'll fix that. Punch you in the face. Yeah, well, yeah. it's just, it's just stupid. <laughs> because, how, does, how does your knee feel now? It's yeah. stupid because the way they sell it is they're saying, oh, we're destroying the fat cells. But I mean- yeah, you're causing damage, but is that? I don't think that's going to get rid of fat. If it's that easy, you could just show up and I could just punch you a bunch of times. That's stomach. what I mean. I don't think that's... Yeah, and you get lots of bruising and damage and pain, and I don't think that that's a, really a good idea. Um, your best approach really is uh, to maintain good circulation because there is some 
and I hate to say evidence because it's kind of small, but there is some evidence that lack of circulation can contribute to having cellulite. So maintaining good circulation would be moving, um, you know, having good health, not, you know, um, sitting or standing in one spot for too long where it prevents circulation, uh, improving your diet, uh, because obviously if you have blood pressure issues and circulation issues due to diet, that may contribute to, um, you know, cellulite uh, formation. But well, really, we got to look at the big rocks. What about here. products and you know, like like skin lotions, things with chemicals in it, and all that kind of stuff. So here's the thing with that: like, you got to think about it this way. This is the way I look at it. When you put a cream on your skin, how far below the dermis does it actually penetrate? Yeah. So cellulite is not on your skin; it's below your skin. It's it's in your fat, right? Does that cream go down that deep locally to reduce cellulite? I don't think so. No, I don't mean the like. I mean like what they've been using as as products, like beauty products and things that like contributing, contributing to, to their hormone balance. Oh, maybe very good point. I didn't even think of that, Justin. Yeah. There's definitely Just like Stephanie kind of brought that up uh, in that episode, and that got me thinking too. Like with a lot of the products, like women are like always putting like all kinds of stuff like on their body that I don't know if like that is you, know, a good you, point. you add all that up like what kind of creams and shampoos and conditioners that and creates yeah foo spraying shit all kinds right. of stuff that's a great point Justin because I've had people contact me and be like you know because I'll make a post about I don't know artificial sweetener or, or a chemical and plastics or whatever they're like god everything is bad for you you know studies show that a little bit of exposure is not going to hurt you and it's like that's not the problem the problem isn't that you're exposed to a little bit of one chemical. Right. The problem is that you're exposed to a little bit of a shit ton of these chemicals, and there's a potential cum- cumulative effect, especially after long durations of exposure. So, sure, I'm getting a little bit exposure, a little bit of exposure to this xenoestrogen and th- that xenoestrogen and this artificial dye and this chemical that could affect this, but. If you add them all up, and then you do them over the course of 10 years. I'm glad you said that too, because I think this is even our stance with like an artificial sweetener. The biggest problem is everybody is starting to pump this in all the fucking foods. Everything. If you were somebody who every once in a while, when you had a cup of coffee, you put one artificial sweetener in there every once in a while. Like, I don't think that's going to kill you. But I tell you what, it's not the problem. You starting to see, if you look at the back of all these foods, like what what do they say? Like eighty percent of our our food in grocery stores now has got some sort of a sugar that's that's embedded into it, yeah. and it doesn't say sugar. You know, it's got some crazy different name. Yeah, it's got a different name that most people don't realize. So that's where we're like, you know, I think that's where yeah, we're just oversaturated with it. Yes, yeah. And so I, if you I mean, can cut it out and eliminate it in any area of your life, you are far better off. Yeah, that's a good point. I think if you look at your, and I did this a while ago actually, uh, and this is it's kind of off topic. uh, excuse me, off topic, but it's interesting. I did this a little while ago where I looked at my overall chemical load, you know, like how many chemicals I'm exposed to. And so I looked at everything. I looked at what I put in my hair, what I put on my skin, what I put under my arms, uh, the clothing that I wore, the containers that I used to, to, you know, hold my food, um, the, the, the air fresheners, uh, perfumes, colognes, like everything, you know, candles, like I looked at everything and then I said to myself, okay, what are the things that I can eliminate that aren't that big of a deal? You know what I'm saying? So first thing I did was I eliminated scented candles uh, and I got myself some like essential oil type candles. That was a big one. By the way, burning scented candles, 
you are like breathing in a shit ton of these chemicals, which have no, like look at a candle. There's no ingredient list on it. So there's really very little regulation in terms of what you're breathing in. So, <laughs> you wouldn't even think of that. Yeah. That's bro, I wouldn't even have thought that. Yeah. Oh, you're breathing in. You're con- killing me. I love fucking vanilla know, smelling like, candles. Ooh, bro, apple spice. They are chalk I was full. just dumping this wax all over Katrina just the other night, dude. <laughs> fucking, Jesus. I'm fucking, when you're playing choo-choo I'm train. I'm fucking yeah, <laughs> Choo-choo-choo. Play your person wax. Here comes the train. <laughs> the tunnel. <laughs> Uh, it, you you know what? You are literally breathing in a shit ton of xenoestrogen. God, what have ruined my day? It is, ca- dude. Synthetic candles are the worst. You are breathing in a ton of xenoestrogens with your candles. Just want to let you know that. Then look at your shampoos. Look at your conditioners. Uh, look at your look at the lotion. I used to put lotion on my skin every single day, and then I'm like, wait a minute. I looked at the lotion. I'm like, holy shit! Like I'm rubbing this on my skin every single day for the last ten years. Mm. I can eliminate this. Like I don't need this. Um, deodorant. I went to a more natural type of deodorant. Sometimes I don't wear deodorant. Antibacterial soap. Uh, soaps. Like you can do quite a bit to reduce your chemical load and make a big impact. And it's not one thing. It's like all these things. And sure, you don't have to go live. I understand. We live in the modern world. You don't got to go live in a freaking cave. Yes, yeah, smell and, good. And, and eliminate everything. Well, but, I think but if you look at everything, there's a lot of things you can change. No, I th- and I, I think Absolutely. this is this has always been our core message. And I know there's always somebody who like takes it to the extreme. Like we're saying like, oh, demonizing these things. It's like, no, we're just trying to make people aware of all this stuff. And if, yeah, like, like that was, a, it's a great point you just said right there. And I just recently switched over to like this all natural like coconut soap. And it's like, it's not ruining my showers. It wasn't a hard change. I still smell fucking good. Like that wasn't a hard switch for me Mm -hmm. to make that. And you know, you bring up candles. It's like, well, that might be a little bit harder, but I could do that. You know, these are, (laughs) you know, or or someone who does like, I used to be that guy who, you know, drink a speed stack. I had a protein bar. I had a protein fucking shake and I had, uh, you know, four things of fucking equal in my tea. And then I had two things of sweet and low in my coffee. That could be a fucking day. That's crazy. You know, not including everything else that's going on. And so just getting people to understand that, like, you know, there's there's ways for you to cut back on a lot of that stuff that we are uncertain on where that could where that could take your body in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 plus years and try and eliminate that and cut back. We're See, not what, trying to no, demonize. Here's the thing. This is what studies will show. Um, and by the way, a lot of these studies are funded by the very industry that sells some of these things. This is why some of these studies are, I shake my head a little bit. But even the good ones, right? The good ones will say, okay, chemical X uh, has got some potential, um, you know, hormone disrupting properties or some carcinogenic properties, but it has to be at this amount and this concentration, which you're very unlikely to reach or you're not going to reach. Therefore, we deem this chemical safe. So in other words, it has problems, but there has to be a high amount or a lot of exposure that for it to happen. And so people say, oh, no problem. But nobody's done a study that's added up a little bit of Chronic all these things. Volume. Yeah, yeah. What if we took all these chemicals? Like, well, just like the ones I just named. Yeah. How many people right now, being truthful and honest with themselves, have had days where they've had a protein bar, yeah. a protein shake, yeah, pre-workout, pre, yeah, yeah. Pre, a pre-workout, put a put some sweetener, shampoo, put some sweetener yeah. in their coffee. How? Yeah, put, bacterial. Syrup. Tell me yeah. how many fucking people Perfume. have done that, and then then ask yourself. How many people have done that consistently for days, Every day. months, years? Look, there's a reason why we've done a very good job in modern societies to eliminate things like hunger, to you know, uh, come up with medications for you know acute injury and acute illness. But we've got all these chronic fucking illnesses and problems that we can't figure out. 
I, I, I'm sorry. I'm going to point to our modern lifestyle. Like we've solved a lot of these other problems. We've got all these other shit that's coming up. Think about your day. Think about it this way. You wake up in the morning. Before you wake up, you're sleeping. Let's look at your sheets in your bed. I'm not going to, I don't want to freak everybody out. I'm just giving you an example of just let's add up all the shit that could be, that can be cumulative, right? Look at your bed. There's, there's things that, there's chemicals and things that your, your bed will give off. Uh, there's things that they spray on your furniture to keep it, to make it fly, uh, fire uh, retardant. In California, for example, it's law that it has to have certain things. And we know they give off fumes that we, we can't really sense or smell, but you're definitely, it's definitely going into your body. So your bed, your sheets, your pajamas. We'll start with that. Now you wake up, you get up, oh, I'm awake. I'm going to go in the bathroom. And the first thing I do is I'm going to take a shit. Now I'm going to wipe my butt. Look at your toilet paper. There could be some stuff in your toilet paper. Now I'm going to wash my hands. Look at your soap. Is there something in it that makes, a co- makes it a color? I guarantee there is. There's nothing natural that that's that, that's that pink foamy color that your soap is. What about the scents in your soap? The things that make it smell good. The dyes in your the dyes. toothpaste. Now I'm going to brush my teeth with my toothpaste. Now I'm going to take a shower. Now I got the soap in the shower. Now I got the shampoo and the conditioner. Now I'm going to get out. Now I'm going to put lotion on my skin. Now I'm going to put stuff under my arms. Now I'm going to wear these clothes that are synthetic and maybe they're doing something else. Well, then now maybe you sp- washed it in some detergent that has got smells like lavender. Like we could go down this rabbit hole and my point isn't to freak everybody out, but my point is when you look at the whole spectrum. Start minimizing your exposure. Yeah, you start That's looking it. at the whole spectrum, analyze it, start making some changes. You're not going to go, I don't think anybody's going to go you know, balls deep in it and like I said, live in a cave, but- you can reduce your load, the chemical load, quite a bit by change by changing certain certain things that you use every single day. Will it have a positive impact on your health? I definitely think so. Mm-hmm. So I think it's something we should all look at. So now that you're fully afraid <laughs> there of all of your products, <laughs> yeah, cellulite, right? <laughs> if you like Mind Pump, leave us a five star rating and review on iTunes. If we like your review and we pick it, you'll get a free Mind Pump T-shirt. Also, check this out. Stop this podcast. Go to YouTube. Subscribe. Mind Pump TV. We're one of the only fitness channels on earth that gives you new content every single day. Good right. content. every And I know for a fact we're the only fitness channel on YouTube that has me in it. We're the handsomest. Yeah. There's no one else. None other that has me in it, by the way. That's, that's the, that's the Which best. That thing. in itself should get you to subscribe. Crazy. Uh, also, Instagram. Check us out at Mind Pump Radio. You can find me at Mind Pump Sal. Adam's at Mind Pump Adam. And Justin is at Mind Pump Justin. Thank you for listening to Mind Pump. If your goal is to build and shape your body, dramatically improve your health and energy, and maximize your overall performance, check out our discounted RGB Super Bundle at mindpumpmedia.com. The RGB Super Bundle includes MAPS Anabolic, MAPS Performance, and MAPS Aesthetic. Nine months of phased expert exercise programming designed by Sal, Adam, and Justin to systematically transform the way your body looks, feels, and performs. With detailed workout blueprints and over 200 videos, the RGB Super Bundle is like having Sal, Adam, and Justin as your own personal trainers, but at a fraction of the price. The RGB Super Bundle has a full 30-day money-back guarantee, and you can get it now plus other valuable free resources at mindpumpmedia.com. If you enjoy this show, please share the love by leaving us a five-star rating and review on iTunes and by introducing Mind Pump to your friends and family. We thank you for your support, and until next time, this is Mind Pump.